0: Theology of the Body Institute. This is
1: the Ask Christopher West podcast.
0: Hi podcast listeners. Merry Christmas. We're still in the liturgical season of Christmas, something I love about being Catholic.
1: I do too. I it's you know, that expression like don't open your gifts until you know Christmas morning. That we're kind of that way about the Christmas season as Catholics. Like don't start it till it's really there and then like enjoy it for a while. (laughs) Yeah, so that's that's very special and we're all enjoying our decorations and just time off from normal things. A little too much sweet food, maybe.
0: Yeah, I've had too many. Well, I was about to share our family name for my favorite cookie. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't say it. <laughs> Never mind that. <laughs> well, there're these <laughs> There are these little what are they what are they actually called? They have a lot
1: of names like butter balls or swedish tea cakes or egon.
0: Yeah, shortbread goodness. Yeah.
1: We'll leave it at that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, now we have everybody wondering.
1: That's okay. Okay.
0: You can wonder what we call these cookies.
1: Um. Yes. And why don't we just share something about our Christmas in, in general?
0: Well, what was your favorite gift, Wendy?
1: My favorite gift was something that I had asked for, but I didn't know how much I was going to really like it. So that kind of made it extra special. Um. Years ago, when I was in college, I went to a conference where I saw monks. It was a Catholic conference, uh, praying with these little wooden stools that they rested their butts on while they were kneeling on the floor. So it was not a kneeler for under their knees; it was a kneeler for their bottoms. Right. And I thought that looked so comfortable. I was impressed and thought, I wish I had one of those. And then back in November. You and I went, visited a monastery together and went to mass and the monks there had that. And I said to you, I want one of those because they just looked really neat to me. So Christopher got me, found these prayer stool things, wooden prayer stool that is made to do this. Well, when I first tried it, I mean, I knew I was going to like it, but... It was so amazing how the posture that it put me in was so peace-giving and centering and just like calming. I didn't expect any of that. I just thought it would make it comfortable to kneel for a long time, but it actually had much more meaningful effect for me than I could have anticipated. So that was
0: a wonderful, wonderful gift. I'm so glad. Well, when you said that you like those, I took note. <laughs> thank you. And I think I went on Amazon that day so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> I started poking around and I found one. So glad, glad that that's a blessing to you. Yeah. May you. it bless you in your prayer. Exactly. Exactly so. I enjoyed the framed photos you gave me of um, one of my dad and one of us on our 26th anniversary. Uh-huh. Those were blessings to me yeah. in a particular way. And I was trying in new ways to enter into the real celebration. As you know, my dear wife, I can get so distracted and frustrated by what I call Christmas trappings Mm -hmm. that seem to me a distraction from the real celebration of the incarnation, which there's nothing more celebratory. There's nothing more I want to celebrate than the mystery of Christmas. God taking on male flesh in a female body, and thus revealing to us the theology of our bodies, that our bodies reveal the divine mystery, that God wanted to reveal his mystery, and he did so by sending his son a male child born of a woman. That—that That is the mystery of all mysteries that I want to celebrate, and somehow, somewhere along the way, the, the, the trappings of Christmas, what we Yeah, they they got separated in my brain from that celebration. And I was trying to link them up in new ways, that really unwrapping gifts at the Christmas tree is a celebration of the Incarnation. I was trying to make that—I was trying to wed those two in my heart, but I still got some work to do there. But, yeah. (laughs) Lord, help me. He is helping you. Yes, he is. There was progress made this year, I think. That's great.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Do you have any updates from the TOB Institute for us?
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm so excited about how well our God is Beauty book is doing. This is our first release from the TOB Institute Press. Mm-hmm. If you don't already know about this, I'm sure we've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, but it, it is a retreat given by Carol Wojtyla before he became Pope John Paul II. He gave a retreat in 1962 to artists, and the TOB Institute Press, press got permission from the Vatican to translate it in English and publish it. It's never been published before in English, and it is a gem, and we've been getting great reviews uh, from people uh, who've been reading the book already, people had pre-orders, but now it's officially released. If If you are interested in this retreat, it also comes with a commentary from yours truly, and several reflections from other artists and theologians unpacking the riches of Carol Voitiwa's retreat, check out the link in the show notes if you're interested in getting a copy. It's been really exciting to see how this has been received. And mm-hmm. we also, um, yeah, check out the link below about our course schedule. We have two online courses coming up. One, um, Theology of the Body and the Marian Mystery, which you can take online, and um, TOB1, which you can take online. Check out the link's The link on those courses. And we also have a live course coming up at the end of January into the first week of February uh, called Sexual Integration and Redemption, taught by our friends at Desert Stream Ministries. So check out the link on that as well.
1: Great. Are you ready for a question from one of our uh, patrons? This is from a patron named Fred.
0: Hello, Fred. Thank you so much, Fred, for your support of this work. We can't do this without people like you. So grateful to you.
1: Fred says, my question may have been answered before, but I'm hoping for a bit of clarification. I came to the Roman Catholic fold through the Eastern door, Ooh. It's a Byzantine. I was first a member of an Antiochian Orthodox parish, and then in an effort to bring more peace in my marriage, I became Roman Catholic. I was actually assistant cantor for a period in my Orthodox parish, and so became familiar with the text of many Byzantine hymns. In these hymns, the mother of God, Theotokos, is often referred to as unstained, pure, and undefiled. Okay, well, perhaps it is simply a bad translation, or perhaps it is just my twisted lens, but that kind of language stings a guy. I love my wife and have gone through many painful, purifying experiences to see her through a loving rather than lustful lens. Mm -hmm. Mm. Your podcasts, books, and TOB courses have helped me in this a great deal. Yet the insinuation in much of the Byzantine poetry is that even a married man stains, defiles, and brings impurity to his bride through sexual intercourse. This kind of language is peppered throughout ancient hymnology and theological texts, both East and West. I just keep running into it. Every time I do, it pricks my heart and makes me sad to think that even in the most loving marital embrace, the man somehow stains or defiles the woman. Do you have any insights to help me untwist my understanding of this?
0: Fred, I can't tell you how much I welcome your question. I'm so glad that you are posing it. And I'm so glad that I have an opportunity to speak into it, Uh, not just for you, Fred, but for all of our listeners, and I can just share my uh, own—the fact that I can relate to your question, because when I come upon that language, which is also in the Roman liturgy, I have to enter into a, okay, okay, it doesn't mean this, this is what it means, this is what it doesn't mean, otherwise you can fall right into that trap, exactly what you're describing so well— which is very painful to think that somehow in and of itself even a loving marital embrace somehow defiles us and maybe even in a particular way defiles the woman because we have these these lines in in our liturgical poetry and prayer and hymns of of Mary being undefiled right and and immediately we think well she's undefiled cuz she didn't have sex and 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 that means having sex makes you defiled there are there are several truths here that need to be held together and that's always where we stumble right heresy happens error happens when we zoom in on one aspect of a truth and fail to hold it together with another aspect of the truth so let's see if we can look at those truths that need to be held together so we don't fall into error on one side or the other. So let's start with this. What does it mean that Mary is all pure and undefiled, and in what sense is that connected with her virginity? John Paul II shines a bright light for us here in his Theology of the Body by expanding... Our understanding of virginity. And, and this is nothing new. It's not a new insight of John Paul II, but he's he's retrieving for us the mind of the church. We have, and understandably so, because this is part of the truth of virginity, the common sense of the term virgin means someone who has not engaged in sexual intercourse. And Mary never engaged in sexual intercourse. She is a virgin in that basic sense. But virgin has a much richer, richer and deeper meaning than that. A virginal person, and here John Paul II uses the expression, the expression virginal value. The virginal value of a person means the integrity of that person's body and soul. A virginal person is one who is untrampled in the, in the, in the deepest sense of the word a virgin is one who is undefiled not by sex, but by original sin, right? That's the deepest sense of what we mean when we call Mary virgin. She is undefiled, untrampled by original sin. So think of, um, think of like a virgin forest. A virgin forest is one that has not been cut down. It's the original growth, right? It's the original reality. Uh, A virgin snowfield is one that doesn't have any footprints in it, right? Virginal, in this rich, deep sense, takes us back to what Christ calls, and Scripture calls, the beginning, right? And when the Pharisees come to Jesus to question him about divorce, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus says, haven't you read that in the beginning— God made them male and female. Now, there's this tradition, and it's quite strong in the East in a particular way, and you have a a background in the East, that Adam and Eve before sin were virgins. Now, again, we have to understand this properly. What does it mean that they were virgins? It means that they were untrampled by original sin. They experienced a virginal integrity of their bodies and their souls. It doesn't mean, and John Paul brings this out, that they didn't experience union. John Paul II says in many different ways uh, and affirms from many different angles that God's plan for the conjugal union, for the marital embrace, goes right back to the beginning the error we can fall into is that somehow sex itself is the result of original sin. Now, let us say this. Concupiscence, which is the disorder of our passions, including our sexual passions, that is the result of original sin. But sex itself is not the result of original sin. In the beginning, John Paul II says, they experienced a virginal Incarnate communion. What does that mean? Uh, Virginal. It means that their, their, their union was integrated. Their bodies and their souls were one. Let's put it this way. Lustful sexual union, lust being understood as the disordering of our passions that resulted from original sin. Lustful sexual union is not so much a loss of virginity as it is in this understanding, A pouring of salt on the loss of virginity. In other words, when we understand virginity as the integrity of body and soul, and when we understand original sin as the rupture of the integrity of body and soul, we understand original sin as a loss of virginity in its deepest sense, not because of sex or sexual union, but because of the disordering of our relationship to God, our relationship of body and soul, the relationship of man and woman, and the relationship of man with all of creation. These are the four original virginal unities that existed before original sin. Uh, Union with God, a virginal union, a, a, a union undefiled, uh, union of body and soul, a virginal union, which means a union undefiled. Union of man and woman in the garden was a virginal union. It doesn't mean it wasn't bodily. It doesn't mean it didn't involve their their full the fullness of their bodies as male and female. It was virginal because their bodies and souls were not disintegrated. Uh, the union of man with all of creation was a virginal union, untrampled by sin all of these original unities get trampled by sin. They get defiled by sin. They are good in themselves, but they get defiled by sin. When we say that the Blessed Virgin Mary was undefiled, what we're saying is she was not trampled by original sin. She had a perfect unity with God, she had a perfect unity of body and soul within herself, and she had the capacity to enter into perfect union with other persons, right? And this includes us. And she had a perfect unity, at least coming from her side, the rest of creation has fallen. But she had this, this capacity to see perfectly God's plan for unity with, with the human being in all of creation. This gets trampled not by sex, but by original sin. And original sin itself disorders all kinds of things, including our sexual passions. So let me say this again. I hope, I hope I'm I'm saying this in a way that my audience is tracking with me. Lustful sexual union is always a furthering of the rupture of body and soul. And so I would say it's not so much. Lustful sexual union is not so much in this deeper sense of virginity, a loss of virginity, as it is a pouring of salt on the loss that comes from original sin. We're all ruptured, and lustful sexual union furthers the rupture. But here's the good news, Fred. Here's the good news for you, for me, for the whole world, Uh, especially for married people. Please take this to heart. John Paul II says in his Theology of the Body that when a husband and a wife open themselves to the graces of their sacrament and allow themselves to undergo what he calls a full purification, and and that is in the sense of recognizing it's it's a journey, right? The full purification never happens completely in this life, but we're on the journey. And inasmuch as a husband and wife are on that journey, guess what? Their marital union, open to the graces of redemption, allowing for this purification to unfold in their lives, their marital union, John Paul II says in the theology of the body, is a rediscovery of their original virginal value. Mm. What does he mean here? he means authentic marital love heals the rupture caused by original sin. And in this way, authentic marital love, rather than pouring salt on the wound of disintegration, which is, in the broader sense of the term, the loss of virginity, authentic marital love pours oil on that wound, and heals that wound over the course of a marriage. Authentic marital union, in other words, is integrating. It reunites body and soul, not only body and soul. It reunites us with God. It reunites us as man and woman, and it reunites us with the whole of creation. In other words, authentic marital love is redemptive love, and the whole purpose of redemption the reason Christ came is to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And the hope that this is really possible, indeed the hope that it already has in fact happened, is in Mary. Mary undefiled means Mary means the human being according to the original pattern before sin caused the rupture. Now. I could go on and on and on, uh, and we don't have time for that, but I'm hoping, Fred, that I have given you food for thought here, uh, and I hope we've been given all our listeners some food for thought here, that when we hear, hear Mary uh, pure and undefiled, the thought should not be undefiled by sex, the thought should be undefiled by original sin, right? Right? And every married couple out there should have the hope that as they open their broken humanity—and we're all broken, we are broken—but as we open that broken, ruptured humanity to the power of redemption and allow ourselves to undergo the purifications to which we are invited, marital love, the marital embrace itself, becomes healing, it becomes redemptive, It enables us, as John Paul II says, to rediscover our original virginal value. But we're not perfect there, right? So I'll say say this one last thing. Why didn't Mary have intercourse with Joseph? She's already living the ultimate consummation, right? The marital embrace is a sign on planet Earth of our ultimate reality, which is union with Christ and through Christ, the Trinity forever. Mary has already consummated the eternal marriage. To have had intercourse with Joseph would have been going in the wrong direction. She would have been stepping backwards to the original plan rather than living forward into the eternal plan, right? So Mary grabs hold of Joseph and says, Joseph, come with me, baby. Let me show you the eternal consummate reality to which marriage is meant to point.
1: It <laughs> just made me laugh. Mary's saying to Joseph, come with me,
0: baby. <laughs> yeah, okay. that's what she's saying. Come with me into the eternal consummation. Right? So uh, here's one, another thing. I'm so sorry. This is going on and on, but I have to say this too. In the beginning, there was no distinction between spousal union and virginity, Right? the the two vocations, celibacy for the kingdom and marriage, are separated only because of original sin, right? And they are on the trajectory of coming back together again. In eternity, we will participate in the infinite, eternal nuptials of Christ and the Church. True nuptials, but they will be virginal, virginal nuptials. The virginal nuptials of the beginning, which does not mean an absence of union, but a perfection of union, beyond what we can understand, that was the glimmer, that was the perfect foreshadowing of our destiny. Our destiny is virginal nuptials, which means perfectly integrated, nothing robbing anything from our humanity, but everything leading to the fullness of our humanity. Married couples know this in their experience. We are not perfect in the marital embrace, Wendy, you know darn well how I've wounded you in my very desire to love you because I'm a broken human being. I've also wounded you. We are wheat and weeds growing together here. Uh, and and there is the hope, and we're living it, we can all embrace it, of, of saying, I'm not going to water the weeds, I'm going to water the wheat. Uh, but But remember the parable, Jesus says, don't be too anxious to uproot those weeds because you might take the wheat out with it there is a mixed bag here. I am not not perfect in loving you, Wendy, and you are not perfect in loving me. But in as much as we recognize that and open that to God's mercy, and we can attest to this too, we can attest to the wounding, we can attest to the salt on a wound, and we can attest to the oil. Yes, and the grace. And the grace. Both are real. Uh, so so we, we have to hold all of this together in a cohesive whole uh, in order not to fall into error. Uh, Fred, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I threw out a heck of a lot at you in the last 10 minutes or so, um, but I hope it's helpful. Wendy, what are your thoughts?
1: I have two thoughts for Fred. Uh, one is that this um, concern that has come up each time of reading these um, discourses, Descriptions of Mary, has been, it seems like, a lie saying something is futile in your mm-hmm. effort mm. to be uh, a loving husband. That it's futile because it involves something that is fundamentally, I'm not saying this is true, I'm saying this is what right. it has seemed right. like in right. reading these words, you know, that, that it's unavoidably somehow tainted. So I, I just wanted to point out that message of futility, where is that coming from? But from the one who doesn't want you to be encouraged on this path.
0: Yes. Amen.
1: So if you can recognize that and just even before the Lord, just experience giving him your feelings that this has been a futile task and allow him to take away those feelings and make something beautiful, out of them, because that's what his grace does, of a hope and encouragement and actually even allowing him to show you the ways in which your purified, ongoing, purified gift of self to your wife is a true blessing and a beautiful gift. So I, that was one thing. And the other thing was that it's connected with Mary. And so just in... Any way that the Lord may want you to experience Mary as a gift in your life right now I don't know your journey but it seems like something has been keeping you from resting yes. in the gift of Mary yes. so those are the the two things that I want to beautiful mention. Wendy
0: I always love how you come at it. it it you know it's just you're speaking right into the heart there um Fred I would in- Invite you, strongly encourage you to consider taking this online Mary course. One of my primary goals in teaching this Mary course is to show, it is the primary goal of the course, is to show the real Mary and to, to rid our hearts and minds of these false kind of puritanical Inhuman ideas we have of Mary, uh, especially with things like undefiled, and and we can when when we interpret that undefiled as related to sex itself rather than original sin itself, we could begin we we end with a Manichaean view of the world: spirit good, body bad. And when we project that onto Mary and onto Jesus and onto the Holy Family. the relationship of Joseph and Mary, we end up with a heretical vision, not just of the Holy Family, but of our entire faith, because our entire faith flows from the Holy Family. Uh, So click the link, Fred, and learn more about that online course on Mary. You will not regret it. And and I'll hold this out to you also because this comes from the Eastern tradition of which you are part. Uh, These are your roots uh, and the East, we have to breathe with both lungs, John Paul II says, East and West together. Um, I, 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 I don't want to question your journey into the, the Roman expression of Catholicism, Fred, but I hope you, you don't hesitate to, to dip your toe into those uh, Eastern liturgies, especially the, the ones that are in union with, with Rome. Uh, I hope you're still drawing from the riches of the East, and this is a great treasure I learned from the East, When the East celebrates the Immaculate Conception of Mary, the icon is of Joachim and Anne embracing in front of their their marriage bed, right? So what is celebrated in the mind and heart of the East when when, when it celebrates the Immaculate Conception, it's celebrating not just the sperm meeting the egg that brought Mary into the world immaculately, but it's celebrating the union of Joachim and Anne that itself was in some way... Immaculate, right? I think it is theologically entirely sound to say that Joachim and Anne's union had reached the heights of holiness possible, and thus they were living again what John Paul calls the virginal value of of their humanity, because their union was integrating. Their union was not only uh, procreative or co-creative with God, it was co-redemptive. It was a participation in the creative power of God and the redemptive power of God. So Joachim and Anne are are a great model for us as married couples out of, as to how to sanctify the marriage bed to the point, I believe they experienced it, that it became immaculate. That's what we're striving for, and the good news is <laughs> is that Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And in Joachim and Anne and the conception of Mary, we see that it is really possible. Wow. So, Fred, I know that was long-winded, but I, I hope it was a blessing to you. Thank you again for your support of the TUB Institute.
1: Our next question is from a listener named Grace. She says, first of all, thank you both. The witness that you two give is a gloriously bright and beautiful light in a darkened world. I am still young, almost 20, and have come through many circumstances in the past few years to feel what Christopher calls the ache more deeply than ever before. So my question is, what do I do with that ache? What does it mean practically to, quote, point my rocket up? Sometimes I feel confused as to why we're called to live this life when we experience such intense longings for the infinite. It seems a little scary to place my heart so openly in this question, but sometimes, especially in the quiet moments as I fall asleep, I long so intensely to know the feel of his arms embracing me. I want to know and lose myself in the scent of my bridegroom. Oh, oh, wow. How do I take these intense longings and learn to live more deeply this life? How do I live in such a way that I do not deny the goodness of this life but still store up treasures in heaven?
0: Oh, grace. Wow. 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 Uh, grace, you're beautiful. Your heart is already on fire, girl. You're you're swimming in it. I I don't even know what I can add because you are already doing it. You're in it. That's it. I, I think of that silly Palmolive commercial when we were kids. <laughs> you're soaking in it. You know, you're you're already you're already so deeply in it. But I am reminded here, Grace, of a a line from the liturgy. And because I have my computer right here and I've saved it on my computer, I, I can pull it up. And I remember reading this, coming across this during the liturgy, I don't know, for the first time some years ago, and man, did it strike me. This this is a beautiful prayer that holds together a proper experience of the things of this world uh, as a preparation for the next, and that's, it seems to me, kind of the essence of what you're wrestling with. We can get to a point where we think, um, this world, because it cannot satisfy me, because I'm made for another world, well, well, then I can start devaluing the things of this world. Detachment from the things of this world, uh, you know, this is a language you, uh, of the church. You'll see this in, in the writings of the saints. You'll see this in the catechism. We're called to a detachment. But detachment does not mean coldness towards the things of this world, right? The things of this world are good. God looked at everything he made and said, behold, they are very good. When, when the Church invites us to a detachment towards the things of this world, it's saying, don't cling to the things of this world as if they could satisfy you, ultimately. They cannot. And so, because we're so prone to take the ache for the infinite, which you're feeling beautifully and deeply, Grace, we are so prone because it hurts. The ache for the infinite hurts. We are so prone to relieve the ache by taking it to the finite, and then we cling to the things of this world in this desperate attempt to remove the pain of the ache. Staying in the ache, refusing to take the ache to the things of this world, does not mean a depreciation of the things of this world. Rather, it it enables in us and leads us to a proper appreciation for the things of this world. And that's what this prayer of the liturgy is getting at. This is a, a prayed as a prayer after communion and remember as the church prays so she believes. So this is what the church really believes. Listen to this. May your people, O Lord, whom you guide and sustain in many ways experience both now and in the future the remedies which you bestow that with the needed solace Of things that pass away, they may strive with ever deepened trust for things eternal. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, what I want to zoom in on here is the church in her official prayer tells us we need the comfort, the solace, the consolation of things that pass away. We need it. It's not, it's not optional, right? We need the solace of things that pass away so that we have increased hope and faith in the things that are eternal. So let me read this again. That with the needed solace of things that pass away, we may strive with ever-deepened trust for things eternal. So, Grace, what are the things in this world that delight you? Is it a walk through the woods? Is it a is it sitting at the beach and letting the waves tickle your toes? Is it is it good music? Is it good food? Is it poetry? Is it a, a bouquet of flowers? Is it a good cup of coffee? Is it needlepoint? I mean, what what are the things in this world that delight you that bring you comfort? that are solace for you on the journey to the eternal. These are not optional. Only do not turn them into idols, right? Rejoice in them fully. Get to the bottom of what attracts you. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll share a, a, just one example in my life. I've shared this many times. Uh, people know this about me. People, Some people don't know what to make of it in me, but one of the things that led me away from the Lord was music. Uh, I was a, a drummer in, in a band as a teenager, and into my 20s, I was in lots of bands, and, and the whole world of music, I loved it so much, I turned it into an idol. And I needed to go through a time of kind of detox and detachment from music so that it wouldn't be an idol in my life. But as, the, as we progress on the journey and we allow the Lord to to take us through various purifications, He he revisits the idols in our lives to restore their iconography. If we go to the bottom of the things we love the most, we will find what we're really looking for. We will find the Lord at the bottom of absolutely everything we love the most, because He's there. And, And I'm thinking here of the Scripture, when Jesus says uh, he had compassion on the crowd, and he wanted to feed them because he was afraid that they would uh, pass out along the way, right? That they would grow faint on their journey if he didn't feed them. That is a beautiful biblical word right from the heart of Jesus that shows the heart of, of Christ towards us in our journey towards heaven, He wants to give us little tastes, and the little tastes He gives us are in the things of this world, uh, that we would strive with ever-deepened trust for things eternal because of the solace God grants us in the things that aren't eternal, the things of this world. Wendy, what are your, your thoughts here?
1: My only thought to add is that there is a certain way in which we need to just have are not only our hearts open as as she described, opening her heart in those quiet moments and 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 experiencing a longing. And I, I I sense it is a prayerful experience of longing that she's um you know sharing it with the Lord, but that we also need to have an openness to how He is going to console us, you know, and, and strengthen us. That, absolutely we can seek out those things as you're talking about that we know are comforting but there also has to be I just think a certain surrender to how is he wanting oh, he to respond wants to comfort us, yes. yes that that if we're tuned to it we can begin to see the love of our bridegroom in circumstances that we can't control but that he is appearing through our lives in ways that are, truly his kiss of love for us that we need to receive and experience and thank him for and be all the more bonded to him in in trust and surrender through those experiences that, as I said, we're simply disposing ourselves to be open to it. And even as I'm saying this to all of our listeners, I'm needing to hear it myself that, uh, that all of us need to just have that attitude of Seeing the Lord's action in our lives and uh, recognizing how much He is responding to the longings of our hearts.
0: And I would say this, Grace, that as you're experiencing those longings in your heart, you talked about lying quietly in bed and just feeling that ache, to know that that ache is prayer. You don't need to turn it into a prayer, it is a prayer. It, it, the, the, the desire itself is the prayer. Uh, Pope Benedict, I quote so often this very line, he says, "...the fathers of the Church tell us that prayer, properly understood, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God." That's what's happening in your life, Grace. It's happening. You don't need to add anything to it. Uh, just stay this course and learn as you feel that ache to entrust it to the Lord. Uh, And and when I'm tempted to idols, I'm tempted to idols often because I feel the ache so so painfully, Uh, this this line from the Psalms often comes to me. I treasure your promises in my heart, O Lord, lest I sin against you. The, The promise is that the ache will be fulfilled. Whenever we turn to an idol to fulfill the ache, what we're really saying is, I don't believe that this will be fulfilled. I have to take satisfaction into my own hands. To become a saint is to feel that ache and to trust that it will be satisfied in God's time and in God's ways. And as we make that journey, we begin to see all of the little ways and big ways that the Lord in this life is showing us we can trust his promises. Through the solace of things that pass away, the needed solace of things that pass away, we grow in trust that there is an infinite banquet that corresponds to the depth of the hunger. Bless you, Grace, on that journey, and bless all of our listeners on that journey. Because I was so long-winded today in answering (laughs) Fred's question, although I thought it was important to do so. Uh, We're going to leave this episode to two questions uh, rather than our our typical three. And we invite you, if this episode blessed you and you know others who need to hear what you've heard today, please click that share button. May you know it in your bones through and through that you are a gift. And by God's grace, may you
1: become what you
0: are. Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute, with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.